0: Today, we'll be talking with Jeremy Donovan, an Aboriginal didgeridoo player and performing cultural artist. Jeremy's latest album, Never Alone Walking with Spirit, was recorded for.
1: in our traditional language.
0: You are a descendant of two Aboriginal tribes in Australia. Tell us about that, and how did your cultural background influence your desire to be an Aboriginal performer?
1: Yeah, I'm very fortunate that I do descend from two very culturally rich uh, traditional tribes, Uh, one being my grandmother's tribe, which is the Gumbangria Nation of northern New South Wales, which is on the mid-north coast of, of Australia, on the east coast, and then uh, my grandfather's cultural heritage. He was the senior elder of the Yaranji people in far northern Queensland where our traditional land spreads through the Daintree Rainforest. Part of the Great Barrier Reef is traditionally owned by us and uh, many, many more beautiful of scenic views of Australia uh, encompassed in that one land group from the richness of the rainforest out to the stretching you know plains of the of, of Red desert I um, I started my journey uh, to Aboriginal culture when I was 16 until I was 16 I knew nothing about my family heritage or my cultural background in fact I'd never met my father's family until I was 16. And then at 16, because of some wrong choices that I had made in life and confusion that I'd had in life with identity and and different problems, I ended up um, being sentenced to a juvenile hall, a juvenile correctional facility. And it was in that time that my rehabilitation started and I was introduced to my grandfather and my grandmother. And after serving 11 months in juvenile hall, I was released into the care of my grandparents. And taken back to Northern Queensland to Wadjal Wadjal, which is our traditional community, or what some people know out in this, you know, part of the world in the North Americas as our traditional, it was our reservation. And I spent initially two two years living there with my grandmother and my grandfather, and really just learning, rebuilding myself, I guess, with a knowledge that is deeply rich. And entrenched in, in the soil in the earth. that turtle but what younger yearine is really describing is is the neck between two worlds the bridge that allows people to walk in between the two worlds and see and understand and learn and share and so I wanted to extend my culture to the rest of the world and, and share the culture that I'd been taught so our, our stories of creation and our stories of mythology and our stories of our life, could live could live on because that's how our culture survived for so many thousands of years was just simply from sitting down and sharing stories
2: oral tradition
1: yeah
0: yes yes so
1: so what inspired you to
0: become a performing cultural artist Uh, was it something that you always wanted to do as far as being a you know doing performance was that something you
1: It, it wasn't something that I ever ever dreamed of um, basically, what happened to me was, after living on on reservation or community for for all those years, I returned back to New South Wales where I'd where I'd spent most of my life growing up, and I got very homesick and missed the culture and missed the performing in terms of the dancing and ceremony, and so I started looking at avenues of how I could still. You know, sort of remain within the within the city and re- remain around all my friends and family that I'd grown up around, but still have and keep the the culture alive, not just inside me but outside me as well. And I I stumbled across the Aboriginal Cultural Centre in Sydney, and applied for a job in there just as a salesperson initially selling arts and crafts, and then I started to interact with with people and. And started realizing just how how much people really wanted to learn from the source and learn from the truth of the culture and and so when when a spot became available on the stage in that place I started performing and I was very scared and I was very nervous um, as most people are when they get up on a stage for the first time but what I realized was that I had the ability to. To really empathize with the people and really, you know, as I continued to grow, you know, physically and emotionally and spiritually, that I had a, a, a way of touching the heart.
0: long have you been performing and playing the E-G-E-G, the didgeridoo is E-G-E-G the uh, aboriginal name for the didgeridoo
1: journey or? well in our traditional language the didgeridoo is known as either yedi-yedi or yiddi or huh. and uh, didgeridoo is a, is a European word that was derived from two two of the Irish Gaelic language <laughs> words which in the Irish Gaelic language the word didgeray or didgeray was uh, a pipe player. And the word dov or do meant black. And so together Didri or Didri was a black pipe player, which is obviously what the first Irish convicts saw when they were placed into camps with the indigenous people of Australia when when Australia was first colonised. But for us we only know the instrument really as as the Yiggy Yiggy or Yiddy Yiddy which is its ceremonial name. And I've I've been playing the instrument now. I guess when I was 17, I was first given a didgeridoo to learn by my grandfather, and from that, I wasn't too interested in playing didgeridoo. For me, that I love the expression of the dance and and how we we use the dance to mimic the movements of the animals and and invoke the spirits of the land. In a sense that we were sort of we shapeshift in those times when we're dancing when we're moving. It's about shapeshifting and and, and really capturing the life of what that animal represented to us. And the the greater that we could capture that, that image of that animal, the more appreciation or the more love that we were showing for the life of that animal. And so I was a dancer more than anything and and then, you know, as, as time went by my grandfather really saw saw a gift that I had with playing, you know, Yugi Yugi and and started, you know, pushing me into that world of being able to learn the traditional rhythms for ceremony. And then I was taught about the traditional singing and so I started singing and, and playing traditional songs and as time's gone by that I'm not I'm not dancing that much anymore and simply either singing in traditional ceremony or, or playing, you know, Yiggy Yiggy in ceremony. Or, you know, doing both those two things when we're practicing the traditional healing. And it's 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 rare these days that I actually get to dance because I'm often you know, needed for those roles of singing or playing didgeridoo. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, tell us about dot painting. How long have you been painting and what exactly is dot painting?
1: Well, painting for me is 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 really where I first found my expression that as a kid growing up in the city um, I was a little lost and I was placed in and out of different, you know, different foster homes at different times and, and they weren't really foster homes. It was more staying with friends of the family that I was on the move and I was just a bit lost in life and, mm-hmm. and so different people came into my life at different times to try and you know stabilize things for me but my biggest battle was my identity and you know I was creating identities which fit which fitted the groups of people that I was often hanging around with and you know I grew up a little tougher than you know sort of than others and, and got into quite a lot of trouble on on the streets and you know with you know being in those environments the first form of art that I ever knew was was you know a, a form of art which people look down upon these days but I know for me it, it 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 was probably the greatest thing that ever ever taught me about art and that was graffiti and I I started off with you know doing large murals um using aerosol art and my grandfather when I moved back to live with him he said he basically said that you're a wonderful artist, but the art that you're doing, people cannot appreciate because it it creates, you know, problems. Why don't you transform form your your talent of art and your, your your eye for color, and and start painting some of our traditional stories? And I guess I was I was always a, a little bit fearful of, of how I would transfer, you know, I guess a shift from being a graffiti artist to you know a very sacred you know traditional artist or you know traditional contemporary artist and so i started you know playing around with the dots and in 2002 it was just before my first son was born that i i started painting traditional art on canvases and i've been very fortunate that you know that with with all of my work with the singing the music the dance the healing that my artwork is, has has grown in appreciation and and I'm realising that the artwork is, is as as significant, as sacred to people as what, you know, hearing the music is because my art now these days I don't paint that there is someone to have a pretty picture on the wall that I paint paintings that are tools, that are healing tools. That yes. every painting has a very sacred, a very deep rich traditional story. And they are tools. They're there to be used in in meditation, in journey work, and I want people to touch them and feel the vibration of them and feel the energy and, and, and the the age and the wisdom that's installed in those paintings because your art every,
0: exhibitions have done well, right? Pardon? Your exhibitions have done well. Right?
1: I, I like I said, I've been very blessed that you know, I've had several um, solo art exhibitions and I've never left an art exhibition with a painting, so my paintings are well supported. In fact, the house that I stay at, the friends that I stay at here in in Woodland Hills, um, in California, um, own the own the single largest collection, uh, private collection of of my artwork. And pretty much within every room of their house, they have at least one of my paintings. Mm. And and so for me, when I come to this house, it's like coming home because all my paintings are on the wall and. And I get to, you know, rekindle that relationship with them and, and feel it and see them. But my artwork is, is, it is truly a passion of mine that that when I paint, it's it's the place that I find complete stillness. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I can sit there for, for hours and hours, like sometimes 11 hours in a day without actually getting up out of a chair and just in a deep trance and just mm-hmm. painting, in a sense channeling yeah. the, the the artwork, but still having a defined story of where that of what what that story was about because culturally we're not allowed to paint just whatever we want, but we were only allowed to paint the stories that belong to our family lineage and that's how our stories got kept within a family and that's how they got shared amongst other families as well.
0: You also do like isn't there body painting, body art and
1: Yeah. Well definitely, you know, when we're performing in ceremony we we have our entire body painted with uh, what we know as ochre, which is it's like a clay that we dig. We dig the clay out of out of like some of our river systems, out of our water holes, and and different river systems back on, on community. And we have a c- whole ceremony about about going to get the ochre, going to get the clay, and that ceremony is about singing songs to the earth, about singing songs to our mother. Um, and allowing her to open her heart and to allow us to dig to dig her veins from from the earth. And so the concept of that is that we're never cutting the veins, that we're never breaking the veins, that we're just digging them. And once we hold the veins, which is the clay, which is the ochre, we're then gonna we're just stretching them. And then as we place it onto our body, we have another song which is about saying. Singing to the mother about take, take your veins home now and bring that veins home. And so as we place the ochre all over on our body, it's very wet and it's very cold. But as it starts to dry, it constricts and it, and it basically covers the pores on your skin and it, so it keeps you warm, thin. But as it gets tighter and tighter, that the, the feeling that we're evoking there is that as it starts to get tighter, it's pulling us back down into the earth, into the earth, into the mother's womb. So she can hold us in a, in a period of, of, of ceremony and you know, in a state of transformation and healing.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, tell us about your healing work, Jeremy. You use the ancient didgeridoo, the traditional Aboriginal chants, and bodywork to take people deep into the realms of the dream time.
1: Uh huh.
2: Excuse
1: me. So, the traditional healing work, um, in our language in my grandfather 's language is known as Mapuro, and that word is very those two words are so sacred because within our culture, unlike Native American culture or unlike the South American cultures and other cultures where they had a term for someone that 's a healer or a shaman um, as such we didn't have a word like that within our language base, but we had the term Mapapuro and and that was the traditional healing that my grandfather had, and it was also the traditional rite of passage that I went through with my grandfather to see if I had that connectedness to Mapamnilpul. And the translation of Mapamnilpul means that we have the ability to connect with the ancestors, who will give us the songs to sing to the individual's body and spirit that can make their spirit strong enough to heal itself and transform within itself. And so it's never perceiving ourselves as actually the healers, but just as the people that have the ability to in a sense channel the songs which would be sung to the individual spirit to make themselves strong enough to heal. And I was very blessed in 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 being fortunate enough to be given those gifts of the traditional healing and so I still go back to traditional country and And practice traditional healing on the community with the community elders and with um, just people living within the communities. And my family deeply encouraged me to start sharing elements of that of that healing practice out within you know outside of the community. And so I allow people to come and see me for either group healing sessions or for individual sessions. And they're usually an hour and a half where I'm using the vibration on the on the of the didgeridoo. Uh, on and around the body, and as our bodies are water, the sound travels through water much faster than it does through the air. And our cells are, are water-based, and so it basically increases this to expand and to vibrate. And with the breath work, you know, deep, basically breathing deep into the diaphragm, allowing our body to enter into a space where where healing can transform. And so I use some. You know sort of body work. and and the body work is similar to people that use Reiki and it's 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 an energetic exchange and the other <laughs> thing is that using using um these days I've adapted some other some other sounds like in in May this year, I was gifted a native American flute, and over you know, the last three or four months, I've been teaching myself how to play without. Any of the guidance of any CDs or anything, but just purely learning how to play it with spirit. And I've realised that that this sound brings a beautiful feminine quality to you know to the healing process and allows the body to relax and to travel deeper, you know, in the process before the heavy vibration of the didgeridoo enters onto the body again. And this is a traditional healing practice that we've used for well, it's it's unknown, you know, but probably. You know the didgeridoo has been used in healing for as long as we've had it, which is anywhere from five to seven thousand years. But the traditional healing of singing into the body, or or using our hands on the body, has we have a rock painting which says that it it shows that it's been used for more than twenty thousand years. These healing techniques, and you know, that's it's, incredible. That's my passion. It's a very intimate exchange of, of space that you share with people in I really, I really love that, that intimacy that, that you can share. And a big part of my own healing, in terms of my, healing my own wounds, has come from healing other people's wounds as well and rebuilding elements of my life that I destroyed as a young person growing up.
0: Yeah. So, um, is there a traditional Aboriginal chant you feel comfortable sharing with our listeners?
1: Yeah, definitely. I can say a traditional prayer, which I would, which I say before every traditional healing that we do. And this prayer is about Maja Yelangai about the earth, and about asking the mother to open her arms and to embrace us and to pull us into her womb. And it's, you know, saying where I come from and acknowledging the ancestors of whoever is listening or whoever is in the space that I'm doing the healing. So I could share that with you. be
0: okay, great.
1: So we're taking deep breath down into the stomach really feeling that
3: diaphragm expand <sighs> Gele yo dola ya yanga yora orema na yopuro Mapanyopuro mapan yo na mapan na yiri yiri na yo pro mapan na yo ma ya yo Gapanyam na
1: So that prayer is just a solid prayer that we use to really open that space and to be held in that space when the healing is going or transpiring. It feels so ancient. It's an ancient place. It feels very
0: ancient very home-like. It feels uh, like a memory or something.
1: And I'm sure that we all have that, that a, a strong belief is that, you know, that once upon a time we were all one big great tribe and it's just separated over time but I think that now what's happening is people are having a yearning to and remembering that tribe and and starting to create communities again where they can come back in and feel that remembrance on a a cellular, on a a DNA memory.
0: Sort of a soul recovery or recovery of something that was lost inside ourselves that's
2: definitely and
1: you know the soul recovery and and soul retrieval is is definitely a big part of the work that I do out outside of community is helping people go back to that space that is very old um a lot of the traditional healing in our culture we didn't have a concept of three brain oh sorry of of like chakras as what most people know these days and work with within the energy but we had three brains within our body and the biggest brain is what we know as Gambalanya and that's our stomach, our diaphragm, our solar plexus and that is the biggest brain that's within our body. Yes. And this brain is when we take that sacred breath which we know as Uangali, we take that breath deep down into our stomach so our stomach expands and that's touching and giving life to our gut instinct, to our intuition. And then as we breathe, as we exhale that Uangali, that sacred breath out, it comes over our second brain, which is our heart, which is what we know as Gapanyang. And Gapanyang is the only place within our body that we know how to feel anything. And so we can feel the truth within our heart of that of that feeling, of that intuitiveness that comes from in our stomach. And then as we exhale that, it passes over our top brain, which is in our traditional culture the belief that this is our smallest brain, that this is the brain we know as Duporo. And what's interesting about the word dupuro is that it has two different translations. That dupuro is the name that we have for the brain, but it's also the same word that we use. If we go fishing and all of our fishing line gets tangled up, we say duparo because all the fishing line is tangled up. and We believe that that's what that translation is, that our brain is actually all tangled up because we use it too much. In our thought process, and we overthink and we overanalyze, but we need to just take that sacred breath deep into our stomach and activate our biggest brain. As we exhale it, we feel it in our heart, and by doing that and exhaling out, it basically untangles the the, the, the twistedness of
2: the mind.
0: Oh, I like that. That's a wonderful image. So, talk a bit more about the yi yi yi, yi-, yi. Uh, so what is it doing vibrationally? Is it releasing stored negative energy that people are holding on to? Or
1: well, what the big thing that we forget about, a lot a lot of us, not everyone, but a lot of us forget about in our Western culture is ancestral remembrance. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a major difference, and I can use my own life as, as an example here, is that my mum, my biological mother, is an Anglo-Australian lady. I, I have never heard my mum talk about anyone in her family that goes beyond her grandparents. And so the only acknowledgement of her family only ever extends as far back as two generations beyond her, which is her grandparents. And then I go back to my grandfather and to my family up on the community and we are constantly referring to our ancestors and our ancestors go, well beyond just our grandparents, but we're talking about generations that were here five, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty-five, as many as fifty thousand years, and we're honouring them in all of our in all of our you know the way we talk about them and the way we sing to them and the way we openly pray to them. And traditional healing is very much solid in in acknowledging ancestral wounds and the wounds that were carried over. Genetically, and that, that live within, within our cellular. Memory. I think
0: I hear the dogs in the background. I think some ancestr- ancestral spirits are, have come. Yeah,
2: definitely. You know, because a lot of
0: times the animals, they'll start barking and stuff when there's, you know, well, they're I can
1: hear these spirits. Uh,
2: the, <laughs> what are they called? The, um,
1: uh, the squirrels are like chatting and, and clicking and the dogs are barking. It's quite a wild experience out here at the moment <laughs> in the back garden. It's getting very primal, which is a nice thing, you know, that...
0: Yeah, we're calling up the spirits of. That's my feeling. It's like there's just a lot of spirits, a lot of ancestral spirit that's just stirred up right now. And yeah. what you're talking about is, I just feel this in my very bones um, that I am one. Each one of us may be because of our awareness or what various reasons. Who you know what? Who knows who knows what all the forces are, but. Sometimes we are somehow contracted or there to help clear or assuage ancestral me- memories or to clear things or to cleanse things with the, the past through the ancestral lineage with patterns that keep repeating that where they need to rest. We need to help them come to peace. Does that make any sense what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, definitely. I I mean, I agree so much. And, you know, the healing that we do, if if someone from our family passes away, um, all of our family goes straight into a healing. And the reason for that is because if that person was carrying any wounds that they didn't get to resolve before their passing, we as family members do not want to inherit them. Yes. Because how do we heal wounds which don't belong to us if, yes. we, didn't, if we don't understand them? And so we go into a deep healing phase? Yes, that
0: is a big question. I would really love to have you... Speak about that. How do you heal heal wounds that aren't yours, that are just ancestral, that are passed on? Because I think that's a lot of what healing is about.
1: And and that's definitely what the the deep vibration of the didgeridoo is working on. It's working on reaching into these deep ancestral wounds. These and these deep ancestral wounds are often the ones that we believe have the most toxicity and the most um, you know ferocity to them and, and create the greatest imbalances in our life. That if we don't acknowledge these and and move them forward, that you know they're the ones that can create the greatest pain within us. Um, you know pains that we hold within our body. In our traditional healing, uh, which is unlike a lot of healers, is that we never say to anyone, "We want you to move this out. We want you to let let go of this pain." Whether if you've experienced it on a physical level um, or a mental level, because we we believe that the pain that you carry inside yourself is not is not who you are, but it's it's certainly helped define in a sense of 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 who you are. And so we say to people, we want you to find the pain, the greatest pain that you exist and that you hold within your body. And instead of resisting the pain and walking around the pain, and and not acknowledging the pain, we want you to hold your pain. And bring it into your heart, and learn to love your greatest pain. And what that will do is that your pain, your heart has the capacity to hold pain, and so it basically spreads the pain across your body, opposed to just keeping it in one place where it can create a severe imbalance. Is that my grandfather always explained the healing to me and the human body to me is like just picture yourself like you're a book. And that if you if you've got a book and you read a book and all of a sudden you come across a chapter that you don't like, you can't just tear that chapter out because the binding is going to be ripped, you're always going to know that it's there and He said the same thing with your pain instead of just ripping it out and saying letting it go," and leaving this empty void or this empty space, find that pain and embrace it in your heart and bring it into your heart and love that pain. Our and then potentially it
0: could dissolve, or or then it can be Comple- healed
1: completely, yes. and then it can be healed within the heart. But mm-hmm. if we if we avoid it and we don't want to touch it and we don't want to really you know cry with that pain, it's just going to create imbalances within our body all the time. And so,
0: it's kind of like mm-hmm. owning our shadows, those lost parts of ourselves, or the parts that we don't want to own, or we think they, they aren't good enough, or you know whatever
2: definitely
0: yeah we all have that so
2: what
1: is the dream
0: time
2: Jeremy
1: so. well dream time is an interesting thing because dream time is a European concept a European term That what happened was when the European missionaries were first colonizing aboriginal communities and pushing us into reservations they were starting to learn what we were believing in and why we were dancing for ceremony and they didn't want us to believe in that they wanted us to have biblical beliefs, so you know, Catholicism or Anglican religion or whatever the religion was that was colonized in the community, they wanted to disempower us from our culture and basically see that the only way to you know, to a better life was through, you know, in embracing in Jesus in a sense. And so they restricted us from talking our language and they restricted us from Dancing our stories, and what they quickly realized was that one of our greatest gods within our culture and traditional dreaming stories is Yerubina is the rainbow serpent, and so that analogy of the rainbow serpent and just said, "Well, here's a book, here's a Bible, and the snake represents an element of evil, and so you guys are dancing and celebrating evil, and so basically installed a fear. And they said that what you guys believe in is could only be born within your dreams. And so they referred to our beliefs as the dream time, and then basically gave us the Bible or forced the Bible upon us and said this is the real story of creation. And so what what we know, what people these days are referring or trying to capture as dream time, we would know within our culture as Jungawa or 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 Yungali or Nayo because that is our laws of creation and so our laws of creation are our are our belief of how everything came to be created and how the knowledge was gifted to us from the ancestors and there would be different things that would happen within the earth to remind us that the ancestors are always watching and always making sure that we're honoring those laws of creation that we were gifted and so that's what dream time is. I always tell people that whenever you see the word "dream time," it just could change it to time of creation
2: mm-hmm. okay. yeah.
0: so so how was and the and what is the story of how the world was created anyway? I know you share stories with people. Do you have a story? Would you like to share that story, or do you have a story that you'd especially like to share with our
2: listeners
1: yeah so so one, there's one story that comes to mind that I always like to share in, on a musical level and also on a on a healing level and it's about it's about Yerubina and Namagon. And Yurobina was the rainbow serpent and Namagon was the lightning spirit. And so what happened was in the time of creation, Yurobina was this beautiful serpent that was colored with all the colours of the rainbow, every colour that is known to man. Was in the skin, was in the scales of the rainbow serpent, and she awoke one one day, and pulled her massive body from the core of the earth. And when she came to the earth, she realized that everything was flat and had no color whatsoever. It was just an emptiness without color. And so she dragged her body out of the core of the earth and started to travel across the land. And as her body moved, like a snake moves. It cut wounds into the mother, which would eventually become rivers, and as she moved more radically, it shifted sand and shifted rock that would eventually become mountains and After her time of creation and our it's probably the one thing that people that our traditional people have is a number which is and it's only a recent number that we've come up with um, our people believe that it took about two hundred and ninety seven days. For the Yerubina, the Rainbow Serpent, to create all the land and the landscape, and the reason, the only reason we have that figure is because in our traditional language, we only have 297 words, and each one of those words is as, as important as the other, as it completely describes something, and one word can have up to 15 different meanings depending on the word that it was placed up, placed next to. And so in 297 days she created a she created a word that would describe something beautiful. And at the time of her, at the end of her 297 days, she decided that she would sacrifice all of her color and give her scales and her skin to the land. And so she shed her skin on the rough of the land and the skin touched every part of her 297 days creation and then she cried for Namagon and as she was crying for Namagon, the the lightning man, he came down and he struck lightning into her back. And with that created a great thunderstorm. And then as the rain started to come and merged with her tears, it started to spread her colour across the land. And as the colour reached all the pockets of her creation, then life was created in that time. So with Namagon and Urebina. And underneath it, and then comes the story of my totem and my dreaming, which is the long necked turtle. And which is a year And my story of creation believes that my ancestors were born beneath the shell of the long necked turtle. But it was there was too much water at the time of creation and so we took shelter within the back of the turtle and within the shell of the turtle. And as the flood waters went down slowly, the young neck the long neck Turtle carried us from the sea across into the shores of Yamaga or Yamaga which is that birthplace and with that our people were settled at Yamaga or Wudil Wudil and that was the creation of our family
2: hmm.
0: so do you feel that alive within you that story
1: I do I, it I feels do. like that
0: story is something that could be alive inside yourself
1: it, it, it's a story that you know that that I sing about all the time you know that I sing about Namagon and, and the importance of lightning and thunder and I I look at colour all the time and I look at the colour in my paintings and know that you know all the time when I'm painting with colour it's just reflecting the, that beauty that the Rainbow Serpent had in her skin and and in her land and, and what she gave to the land and so I definitely feel alive and then certainly my connectedness to that totem, to the long-necked turtle, um, was with me well beyond my my knowledge of the Aboriginal culture. Because, see, growing up in the family that I grew up in in the city, I was very disconnected and removed from Aboriginal culture, as I said earlier on. But what happened was, when I was about six years old, my stepfather came home, and on his way home from work, he'd found a long-necked turtle crossing the road. And so he decided to, to stop, and this was very out of character for my father. Mm-hmm. And he, he picked up the long-necked turtle, and he brought it home, and he gave it to me. And this long neck turtle became my greatest friend in all my life.
0: And how old were you?
1: And I was six years old at this time. And what happened was that through all my destruction, and through all my pain, and through all the drug abuse that I went through uh, as an early... This turtle was the only thing that ever kept me alive, and I used to think about it all the time but I used to think about if I go to jail, what would happen to the turtle? who would look after it? If I die of a drug overdose, what would happen to the turtle and It was never me thinking about the damages that I was doing to my family or the people that really loved me. The only one love or the only thing that I felt ever trusted me was this long neck turtle. And what happened was, when I was, just before I got, it was, this story is, and it's very real, and this lives with me every day. And Two days before I got sentenced to juvenile remand or got arrested, I'd gone around to my mother's house where the long neck turtle was, and I noticed that it was very lethargic, and it wouldn't eat, and it looked like something was going wrong, like it was making it... You had that turtle
0: a long time.
1: I had a long time. And it was, and it was with me this whole time. And I went to my mum's house, and it just wouldn't eat. And I said to my mum, I said, "I'm worried that the turtle is he's going to die." And then that night, my mum called me at a friend's house where I was staying at that time, and said that the turtle had died. And so I went straight around there, and I picked the turtle up, and and I I took it out in the back garden, I dug a hole, and I buried it I buried him, and. And, just, and really cried that for me, that was it. You know, that I was bearing something that was so important to me in my life. And the next day was, was you know, what some people would perceive as the worst day, is that I decided to go and get myself as, as high as I possibly could on whatever I could possibly find. And then we proceeded to, to you know, do something really stupid, which was was steal a couple of cars. And the one thought process that I had is that I'm not afraid to die because I have nothing to live for anymore. And the police started to to chase us in in this in these cars, and I then basically went from there to I just decided that I didn't want my friends to get caught for this action, that I had nothing to live for anymore. So I was just going to stop the car, and I stopped the car. I got out of the car and lay down and I was arrested. And that was for me that was it because I didn't have to be responsible for anything anymore. And so that I didn't have to live anymore, that I was quite happy to go to jail and you know, just have that be my life. And so when I went back to the community to live with my grandfather and I sat down on the third day with my grandfather and all my family in ceremony and the ceremony went for about three, three hours and I'd never discussed with anyone on my family The relationship I'd had with the long-necked turtle, and after the three-hour ceremony, one of the elders of the community got up and walked across to me and had wrapped up in leaves something, and he handed this object to me, and I unwrapped it, and in that wrapping was the shell of a long-necked turtle, and that's why I got given that name, Younger Year, and the long-necked turtle, and the neck between two worlds, and so, unbeknownst to myself. That turtle had been gifted to me as something that would look after me and guide me to the place that I needed to oh, yeah, be. My It was
0: your animal spirit guide all those years, yeah. guiding you, and uh, it was time for you to make your transition into adulthood. Exactly. Yeah. And so,
1: and so you know, the long neck turtle in me still. We have a we have a relationship. I have chills
0: thinking about that story. That is just and such a wonderful uh, example. I was going to ask you to talk about our connection to ancestral spirits and the animals. And I think that's a really good story as a as a example. You know, but talk a little bit more about the important role that ancestral spirits and animals play in shaping our lives.
1: Uh, for us, I mean. And I've been very fortunate in, you know, I have the traditional knowledge of, of ancestral animals and as you know I have, you know, a good friend in Stephen Farmer who writes, you know, the Power Animal Books or Animal Spirit Guides or Messages from, from Animal Spirit Guides and, and so we've had a lot of conversation and I know that when he was writing some of his writings that he often used to some questions about some of the Australian animals, because there's an intimate relationship that we have with all of the animals that are in our landscape and in our life, and that we definitely look to animals as guidance and as 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 spirits that can help us in shaping our life. And they play different roles, you know. For us, you know, we have a beautiful um, grey, like a grey crested eagle, which is what we know in our language as Marawati. And Marawati is, is the eagle that looks after our land, and our people believe that in the time of transition, when we pass it over, when we, that Marawati swoops down in the middle of our ceremony, and captures our spirit and our soul, and basically scoops it up and then flies us across our land, so that we can see all of our traditional country, you know, through the eyes of the eagle one last time but as we're flowing up into that ancestral world. You know, for us different animals, the willy wagtail, which is sort of this little dancing bird, when we see this bird dance in front of us, we often relate to maybe something's not right, that someone may be getting sick or someone's making that transition, getting ready to make a transition. So it connects or,
0: with our intuitive voice, our own intuition. And...
1: Yeah. And even here in California, you know, I had this beautiful experience the other day. Um, in the back garden of the house where I'm standing now, is that there was a cicada, or what we know as cicadas, um, flew into the back garden, and I was standing out here, and and I was I was I had just finished you know smudging myself, and the cicada flew into the back garden and went flying into the glass window where I was standing, and it just kept swooping into the window, and I was and I started speaking to the cicada saying. Knowing that the lifespan of a cicada isn't that long, I started saying, you know is it time for you to go or are you, is it time for you to leave? you know and don't be afraid to leave that death is something that is should be celebrated and you should never run from it you should you should embrace that time of transition. I was saying this and whispering it to the cicada and it flew it, it basically turned around from the window and then flew out of the garden. And I watched it sort of fly circles around the tree, and then it came back and crashed into the same window. And I just kept talking to it, saying, "You know, it's safe. That if you need to go, if you need to let go, it's it, it could be time for you to go. And it's fine. That that's fine for you to make that transition." And the cicada hovered up and landed right on my nose, wow. and just and just sat there on my nose, started to, and making its screeching noise like it did. And the, the owner of the What house was it saying
0: to you, Jeremy?
1: Well, the thing was that I was saying that, you know, to, to pass away, to transition, it, it's safe, it's time to go. And it was acknowledging me, acknowledging it, and mm-hmm. then it just mm-hmm. left my nose and yeah. flew up. Mm-hmm. And the next night, I, I had a dream about, about, you know, making that transition, about, you know, someone passing away. And the dream was that I was in a church, and it was a funeral. But I didn't know anyone in the funeral and people were taking photographs inside the funeral and next to the coffin. I was trying to see who it was in there, but I didn't know the person or anyone in there. And then that morning when I woke up, the the lady who owns the house here that I stay at received the phone call that her uncle had just passed away. Mm-hmm. And I think the relationship, what was happening there was that I was, you know, through the cicada and through that dream, I was really picking up the intuitiveness that this this soul the spirit was making that transition to move on yes yes the fabric is
0: all you know we're all connected through the fabric of time
1: yeah and so animal relationship is a huge Mm -hmm. is a huge thing and being acknowledged by animals you know when Mm -hmm. if we're you know out in the bush and and a a bunch of what we know as eastern water dragons come out and start to nod their heads at you in acknowledgement we pay we, we hold that in huge respect and huge regards is that our kin which are the animals mm-hmm. are acknowledging our presence and the work that we're doing here
0: mm-hmm. oh that's beautiful I love that so yes I love the work with the with the animal spirits and the animal spirit guides and as animal spirit messengers and all I think it's just, uh, just that such a help, such a help, you know. They can be such aids to us. Uh, and also, you know, our spirit ancestors. Uh, I think that you can really be connected with your not only your ancestral spirits, but I think that they are spiritual messengers that come in all kinds of guises, you might say, to us to, to speak and help us. So. Um, would you be uh, open to sharing uh, some of the EEE uh, with us uh, as a form of maybe help with a little, like an example of a, a healing session with us yes, or something to take us, us on do some sort with of a journey point? or something?
1: That would be yeah, wonderful. I could do that. That great. In a moment I'll just go and I'll grab it. But um, The other thing that I was going to say is that, you know, like spirits and acknowledgement of spirits, is for me when my grandfather passed away I was so afraid mm-hmm. that I hadn't learned enough from him mm-hmm. in, the, in the short time that i would known my grandfather mm-hmm. and the reason for me to re- recording that CD, never alone walking with spirit was based on the relationship that I had with my grandfather because I soon learned that I was learning as much from my grandfather in spirit yeah. that I did when he was here in the physical with me and i hear his voice and i smell him before i do my work and, yes. and i know that he's so present in all of the work that i do and um and so that that fear of never being alone was dissipated because i knew that no matter where i was i was never
2: alone
0: oh i love that that's beautiful i had a i had a wonderful relationship with my grandmother and i know she's with a, with me and guides me and I know. I get a lot of help from the spiritual world with ancestors and all, and I I
2: feel like I want to tune
0: more into that.
2: So
1: I'll just grab my yiggy, yiggy. And so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play a little bit, and and I just ask all the listeners and yourself just to take a few nice deep open breaths. And really breathing and being conscious of bringing that breath deep down into the stomach. And then as you exhale, feeling the breath pass over the heart and bringing a clarity to the dukkuru, to the mind.
0: and
2: <laughs> yeah
0: that <laughs> was wonderful so I have um, one other question I wanted to ask about could you tell us something about your consultancy work that you've done Jeremy you work with adolescents in both urban and remote areas throughout Australia helping young people reconnect with their identity of their origins yes.
4: could you and talk so about
3: that
1: yeah definitely um, what happened was <coughs> when in 2007 the cultural centre that I was had been working at for seven, eight years, um, closed down. And I was left without anywhere to sorry, it was two thousand and eight that it closed down. But um I was left without a place to work and for me I'd always thought that when my performance career finished in that place that I was gonna leave performing and I was gonna take a, a job, a regular job quote unquote. As you know something that I could just do as a youth worker, where I would work with young indigenous kids or, or young adolescent kids for that matter, working with them when they're either in you know juvenile remand centers or if they've been in trouble with the police and just helping them with understanding identity and the problems that we often face when we don't have you know an identity or a solid identity. And so I started, you know, doing some of that work and then started consulting to different Aboriginal communities around Australia, working with young, uh, young Indigenous kids that were creating an identity which unfortunately was based on, on, on the gangs of America almost. They were, they're so influenced. These young kids that are living in the most remote communities of Australia, are being influenced by Fifty Cent and being influenced by all the gang, gang-related hip hop music, and they're recreating that in their own lives. And so, as a result, creating gangs of their own, which is then unfortunately creating crime and creating trouble. Because, and unfortunately, as we know, that the, the hip hop and the and the and the gang-related world, it, it's been very much glorified through video clips or through you know youtube or whatever it is and so therefore these kids are trying to recreate this and so i started working with the kids based on hip hop music but instead of having them rap about you know gangs and all this sort of stuff that we don't have in australia and we don't have guns in australia as much as what is out here and and we don't have the sort of ghettos like you like america has and so therefore I was just trying to get these kids to start saying that you can, hip hop is a great outlet for music. But instead of expressing pain and anger and hurt and hate, rap about something that is beautiful within your culture. So you're just seeing the evolution of your cultural songs and the evolution of your culture being felt within a music form which is relevant to today's society. And I started doing different work with different communities about identity and using music sometimes or using traditional culture. But A lot of the work I like to do in the remote communities is take the kids off the community and just go and live in the bush. We take nothing except a few fishing hooks and a knife and just live on the land and teach the kids to build spears and teach the kids how to hunt again and really connect with that primal memory that exists inside of them. and That allows them to be able to, when they stand in front of the mirror, They can see that they're Aboriginal and they also have a feeling that evokes that memory of what being Indigenous is. And it's a very empowering thing, especially for the young kids that are born in city environments where they can look in the mirror and they look at their family pictures and they know that they are Aboriginal, but they have nothing else that tells them within themselves that they're Aboriginal because they've never heard the language or they've never seen or eaten traditional food. And so to take these kids out there. And sort of rebuild them in the same way that others rebuild is you know something that was a is a passion to me and you can see that video clip on, on that dreaming in Coloumbaroo where I did that with those uh, ten young guys and took them out onto the land and and really helped them rebuild culture with you know within themselves by you know picking up those traditional hunting things and uh and and culture again, rebuilding them with the culture. And so the consultancy stuff is something that I'll always have something to do with. I would love to get more of that sort of work, um, not just in Australia, but out here in in the Americas as well, in North America. I know that I I have made quite good relationships with a few different um, Native American families.
0: Weren't you at the Return of the Ancestors gathering?
1: Did you participate in that?
0: yeah,
1: Yeah, I did. I was. The Return of the Ancestors Gathering was an interesting space for me because I, we arrived there and I'd taken a group. See, I, I, guide, I guide retreats, two retreats every year, um, which is out to Sedona and I basically take people up onto the Red Rocks and with my business partner we have ceremony and, and I'm singing songs of, of, of the earth and songs of the land and allowing people to have their own healing and transformative experiences. And then I'm you know and then I get um, some Navajo family friends of mine that have become like family to me to come and join me, and they sing the same songs and we're sort of singing a collaboration song about the earth and about the mother and allowing people to have deep transformational healing experiences and and so we we typed this year's trip in May in to be part of the ancestors gathering because we had heard about it, and we thought it would be a great place to get to and then you know, in arriving there we realised that they came across quite a few obstacles, um, because of certain protocols and because of certain people not willing to have them participate on their lands for whatever reason, you know, was deemed I'm, I'm unsure in state right away from those those reasonings. But when we arrived at, at the ceremony, um, which was like the closing ceremony day, we I arrived there and and looked around and there was almost an elder from every other different culture, there were people from that had come from Europe, from the Sami. There were people, Native American elders. There were, you know, Native American elders from up in in Canada. There were South American elders from Peru and and from Lake Titicaca, and and also from, you know, down in Mexico with Mayan elders and and Don Juan, and and I looked around, and there was no evidence or no acknowledgement. Of the Aboriginal culture, there were people from Japan and there were people from the Pacific Islands, but none from the Aboriginal culture. And I spoke to the organisers and I said, I asked them why is that, and they said, oh, we we just believed that they would be with us telepathically. And I and I thought, have you asked anyone or consulted with anyone, and they said no. And so I said, well, you know that I'm here and I'd love to offer the gift of this song and. And so I was fortunate enough to be given a spot where I, where I did. I sang a couple of songs and played didgeridoo and performed in that. But okay. I, I did feel that there was a, dis- a bit of a disillusionment from, you know, from from somewhere within that organisation or, or how it was organised. That that some of the oldest, you know, what is perceived with the Aboriginal culture as some of the world's oldest living yeah. knowledge, had just been completely bypassed. And yeah,
0: there was a uh, disconnect
1: yeah and and so i was I was very glad that I was given the yes. opportunity to to sing a song at least on behalf of my country and on behalf of the peoples of my country and land um because it really brought it forward and it, and it was very powerful for a lot of people to witness that, witnessed that. It yes. was very powerful
0: yeah that was quite um
1: auspicious
0: the t- you know that that just ha- that you happened yeah you know, that it was woven so that you could be there. So I'm glad
2: to hear that.
1: I think for sharing that. Yeah, and so and then it was beautiful, you know, the rest of the trip that we're out there guiding on this retreat. You know, we went out to out to the Navajo reservation and stayed, you know, out there and did a traditional sweat lodge in a traditional Hogan and really allowed people to see the Native American culture without the the tourist value which is often, you know, sort of put on the culture. And I know that happens with my own people Back in Australia, is that there's so many souvenir shops that are selling just Indigenous arts and crafts, and even meeting Indigenous people has a very you know touristic sort of value, a token value. And I didn't want the people on my groups to have that. I wanted them to find the people, to feel the people, and to see it in how it is on a daily basis, not recreated for a photograph. And, And I guess. One of the things that I've been very blessed with with my Indigenous heritage and my culture is that I have been able to come out to America, and I've been able to meet different Native American people. And there's an automatic understanding that we share of understanding that our families have been through a similar suffering, but we are still here and we can still practice our culture. And so there's a, there's a relationship that's already built without even a without even a dialogue. And, and so I want to be able to share that as well with people to see that it, we are all just people, and that we have different ways of understanding and different learnings, which we can all learn and grow from each other. So I think that's the next time that I'm going to be out in the Americas is in next May. We're looking to do another guided retreat out to Sedona and. And stay out there, and you know it's it's a limited space because it's only ten people that we do it with at a time, but it's a really magical experience. And for me, it was a great confirmation because I finished my job as a full-time youth worker and decided to start running the ceremonies and getting back involved with music and and the healing work. And I got out to Sedona, and I just I ran so free on those rocks and. And just really loved being there in that intimate space of allowing people healing and transformation, and really saw right then the truth of what what my plan was, what what my destiny was in this world, so to speak. That my you know my destiny is to help people release and heal their wounds and help them you know embrace their wounds in a way that you know they can love you them. Are, and, and you must have the and,
0: archetype of the wounded healer. Yeah. I do. I have the archetype of the you know the wounded healer I mean it's, it's kind of like you have your wounds and so it's like this quest and that you receive healing when you are helping others to find their healing that you receive healing and it's just uh, you deepen in that it's like a, a quest of deepening in that and yeah. it's vast at least I've been on a healing journey for I feel like my whole life but professionally for over 30 years so yeah. um, it's I guess you know the one.
2: Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead and finish.
0: What were you saying?
1: Um, the one, the one thing that I always say to people is, how do, how do you know what the light looks like if you've never sat in the dark? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and that's, that's where I sat. You know, I sat deeply wounded in a four by four meter concrete cell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, coming off a heroin and 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 speed addiction and and all of those sort of things, and just sat in the pain of the darkness mm-hmm. and still found light in there mm-hmm. and that's that's when I knew what light actually was mm-hmm. because until then I'd sort of masked my life with, with the darkness of pain yeah. Yeah.
0: and so now for me the dark night going through that tunnel experience
1: completely you know, and so. like I said earlier on in this program that you know sharing that intimate healing and transformational space with people has allowed me to heal my own wounds mm-hmm. And my children as well. My children have been the greatest blessing in in healing wounds. Yes,
0: my son is my greatest redeemer, I tell you. He is the love we share. It's just, I'm so grateful for it. It's it's such a blessing.
1: I, I have one story that, like I have three beautiful children. I have my eldest son, whose name is Jalo. My middle son's name is Matari. And my princess daughter's name is Kalima. But this year, um, at the beginning of the year, I was with my eldest son and my middle son, and my middle son was asleep in the in the car, and my eldest son was sitting in the back, and I had my brother sitting in the front with me, and we were listening to a CD of very of very traditional music, and we were driving up the highway, up the freeway, and all of a sudden I heard my son, my eldest son, crying in the background, and I turned around to him and I said son what's wrong why are you crying and he said nothing's wrong and I said why are you crying son and for me I knew like I could sort of sense why he was crying because the music we listen to makes it, it evokes tears in me
2: <coughs> in
1: tradition. and so I stopped the car on the freeway and I went and got got my son out and I sat him on the roof of my car and I was sort of standing in between his legs and I had my <coughs> wrapped around him <coughs> and he was still crying and I said son why are you crying? And he said, Dad, he said, this music is making my heart sad. Mm -hmm. And at six years old, for him to say that to me, I just burst into tears. And for me, it was one of the greatest healings that I could have ever got because I always remember being yelled at for crying. Boys, don't cry. I'll give you something to cry about. And all those sort of things. And, And for me, I was able to sit there and embrace my son and cry with him and let him know. It's okay to cry, you know, and when something moves you and something touches you in the heart, to let that emotion move and to feel that, you know, to feel that, that, those tears. And I think it's so sacred and so, so pu- beautiful and pure to share that experience with them. Oh,
0: that's wonderful. Thanks for uh, sharing that with us. You have shared so much richness with us today. I just want to thank you so much, Jeremy. Do you have anything else you'd like to share with us before we close? Any other upcoming events you'd like to announce or anything?
1: Um, The one thing that I'd love to share with you is that that a lot of my stories, a lot of my gifts were given to me to share. And and my grandfather said, you know, the last thing he said to me, one of the last things he said, you know, he said, Son, what good is a gift if you have no one to share it with? Mm -hmm. And that's why I love sharing my gifts so much because... I want to reach out and share this with people and allow them to heal, heal themselves, and allow the healing to transpire. That it's never too late to start healing, and we've never actually done enough healing in our life, in this physical life. That you know, there's there's never there's always time for some more healing. And for any of the listeners, I would, you know, if you're interested in any of the work that I'm doing. Then contact me. You know, go to my website at jeremydonovan dot com dot au. It's important to not forget the dot au for Australia, and and write to me and and write an email to me or or somehow contact me that I want to I want to spread my you know my healings and share my healings with people, especially here in the Americas and reach out to the communities that support healing, and I want to be coming here as much as possible to share that. And so contact me and and let's. See it come to life and see the dreams and the stories continue the way that have for so many thousands of years.
2: Oh, thank you,
0: Jeremy. To learn more about Jeremy Donovan and his work as a performing Aboriginal artist, please visit his website at jeremydonovan.com.au. Have a beautiful day, everyone. All mahalo. Thanks again for joining us, Jeremy. It's been such a joy having you with us.
2: My
3: pleasure. Now you're nulling out your call
1: you know the big reader is an offering from the land